Hello and welcome. The App Store has been haven to many technological advancements, but businesses often find themselves in a position where using an app is something that they're unfamiliar with. Today's guests in 2015 decided to take that big leap of faith to create their own commercial app for businesses. If you want to know more about life in and around Silicon Roundabout, then join us on the other side. Look forward to seeing you then. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for the Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello and welcome to the Cashflow Show. My name's Clayton M. Coke, and today's guest is Richard Harris, CEO and co-founder of Ocapi. And if you have not heard of Ocapi before, then I think the best thing for us to do is allow Richard to tell us all about himself and the company he's co-founded. So welcome, Richard, to the Cashflow Show. Hi, Clayton. Thanks for having me here. You're most welcome. For me, this is quite an interesting subject. I'm always interested in apps. I'm always looking them out. And I'm always trying to find out things that make businesses and business processes work a lot better. I don't have any skills or any technological skills at all whatsoever, but I like the way that they run. Can you just tell us a little bit about you and the business that you co-founded? Yeah, certainly. Um, Okapi is it's actually a lot more than, than just an app. It's a whole platform. It's a B2B workforce management platform, which helps companies connect to their own customers and subcontractors and then manage their day-to-day work. So we apply social and market networking technology to a real business need. The need to communicate and collaborate when working with lots of employees, often at different locations, when working with multiple subcontractors, when working with lots of different uh, customers. For us, Socapi is a platform and it basically gives complete control to the business owner, um, lets them see what's going on in their day-to-day work. They've got control of every job, every step of the way. Excellent. I got the impression from your, from your introduction there that Ocapi tends to concentrate on construction. Would that be right or is, am I just getting one side? We're targeting niche sectors initially, um, given our size. So we're targeting electrical contractors, plumbers, drainage contractors, and often they'll be working in the construction space. So their customers will be construction companies. Um, they'll work for facilities managers. So that's another big sector. Um but what's exciting for us is the kind of issues that we're we're seeing that our customers are facing. It's the same issues that many customers or many companies around the world face. And it's managing workers, especially at different locations, and also managing the network. Everyone has customers. Uh, companies often have outsourced to subcontractors. Companies work together. And it's trying to keep that communication simple, unified, make it easy to find information. That's a lot of the difficulties that companies have with existing ways of working, big complex systems or paper or emails or or even the newer kind of WhatsApps and Slacks. You end up with information in lots of different applications. So we're getting interest from 
a broad sector of businesses from councils, um, manufacturing companies. Um, we even got approached by a fish farm up in Scotland. <laughs> and it was the same kind of issue. They had people across lots of different sites. Um, they were working with subcontractors uh, and they just wanted to tie all that together and, and manage it on one simple unified platform. So it's very flexible. Um, you can create different job templates. Um, so yeah, although we are targeting kind of the trade uh, construction facilities management it can work across really right wide section of business so it's quite it's basically because it is a platform it's quite adaptable in itself yeah so we've we've developed it from the ground up to be flexible um, a couple of differentiators i suppose one is the fact that ours is a network rather than just an internal system uh, the other thing that we've always been keen about is simplicity and how easy the system is to use um, and I think that's one of the big changes, especially with Apple and the apps and, and that kind of environment. People want to enjoy using apps now. They want apps to be simple, intuitive, easy to use. Um, so from the ground up, we've always designed it to be flexible, very simple, very easy to use. So it fits in with our customers' work rather than them having to fit in with with a complex system. Let's go back, because I always like to go back in order to get an idea. When was the genesis of the idea to be, to have a platform like Okapi? How did that, was it in the pub? That's, you know, people usually have ideas in the pub. Um, was that the idea or the genesis of your idea? Um, I think the idea evolved. I wouldn't say there's one particular kind of key moment there was a few moments in the journey um i mean i've always been interested in business i've always wanted to create something from an early age and from uh, seeing my dad uh, working in his uh, family business uh, seeing my friends and their businesses um so from school i've always wanted to create a business and and create something um and then i got the opportunity in 2004 i was working in investment banking um took redundancy but started doing consulting back to them and also got involved with smaller businesses so although I was doing big projects for for big banks uh, big investment banks and fund managers I also was able to invest time in in smaller companies quite quickly on I came across a company that was doing vehicle tracking or developed a way to connect the, uh, your vehicle to your mobile phone okay. so that if your alarm went off uh, it would ring on your phone which being in London it was important because <laughs> often your car's not parked near your house it's streets and streets away uh, and at the time, the competition was Tracker, RIC Trackstar, which charged a lot for having a call center to manage the alarm. So our idea was to put control into your own hands. Right. So that was the first kind of intro into apps and kind of app app environment and, and app industry. And we built that up to, to quite a large size. Uh, we brought out products around the London congestion charge uh, and around location-based services and helping companies manage their fleet. Um, but over that time, I thought one of the other things I was always interested in was how companies like Slack, WhatsApp, Dropbox expanded uh, and this idea of networks and how companies communicate and collaborate. And one of the issues we had with auto alert is that companies never wanted to share location data. Of course. So this idea around trying to build a network, it was not really feasible or possible uh, with that company. Also, we were at the time, vehicle tracking, GPS tracking was becoming commoditized. So I was looking at other opportunities, other functionality within auto alert. 
And I suppose another key moment then was we we were speaking to one of our customers, Graham, who was an electrical contractor up in Ipswich. And he he was having this big issue with managing his employees, managing his subcontractors. He was expanding. Um, so yeah, he was doing work for construction companies, insurance companies. Um, they wanted him to expand and to expand out of of um, Ipswich into into other areas. But just managing his existing workforce was was proving a nightmare. So he said to me, Richard, look, you're tracking my vehicles. Can you track my jobs? Okay. So that's when we that was, I suppose, the other kind of big moment or kind of genesis type type point. We thought, well, yeah, actually, let's start developing this functionality. So not just tracking vehicles, but tracking jobs and workflow. Um, and I guess I quickly realized that that's where the network comes in because companies like Gray and they were connecting to their subcontractors, their own customers were saying, well, look, we want to be on the platform as well. We want to be able to send jobs to the likes of Graham or to our other subcontractors. Right. And that's when we realized, actually, it's a lot more than just a function within AutoAlert. It's a company in its own right. It's massive opportunity, um, especially at the time there was Slack was starting to grow and Jockbox had been growing quickly. And so we realized that, look, there's a big opportunity here to create a unified platform where companies can come together, build their own networks and, and manage their work. I suppose in answer to your question, it wasn't kind of one Genesis moment. It was a, a combination of maybe even like three or four over a, a long period of time. But uh, That's interesting because to me, I, I, th- I see a lot of people who they've got an aptitude for code and stuff like that. Is that something that you had an aptitude for or for, or something that you did, or is that something that you had to get in to the business? Yeah. I mean, I've always been confident with computers. Okay. Um, I went to Brunel university. So a lot of my friends were engineers, uh, computer scientists. Ah. So I was always around those kind of people. So I always had an understanding. I was never um, a developer or a coder myself. Um, I went into the finance route, investment banking, uh, fund management. Um, But yeah, as we set up AutoAlert, initially we outsourced, we got developers in. But I guess just through my own interest and my own confidence, I understood what was going on, understood the code, understand the development to the stage where, yeah, I can do that now. And, and certainly with Okapi, um, I do manage the the technical side. Um, I do even get involved in coding, uh, bug fixing, uh, feature development. Although obviously kind of being the CEO, CEO, I try and kind of step away from that. Of and course. Delegate and, and kind of bring people in. But yeah, I do have to get involved. Although, yeah. Probably wouldn't <laughs> don't want, want to too much. Well, no, I, I'm fascinated because I, I, I think a lot of people have ideas for platforms. Yeah. There are a lot of people think, oh God, yeah. What if I could get something that did this or did that or did yeah. this? And I think the genesis of the idea is always great. But the problem is, is that finding somebody, how is easy is it when you have a platform like Okapi to get people like developers and stuff like that? Uh, it's not easy. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of resource out there. There's a lot of companies, consultants. There's, there is a lot of developers out there. Um, I think in London, it seems very competitive. Yeah, um, I would think and so. And it seems to be very polarised. In my experience, there's a lot of 
developers who are very new to developing, uh, they've always wanted to, they take a course, they've got two or three weeks experience and they want to get into, into a company. Then there's a big gap with not much kind of experience or, or not, not many developers. And then you have the really experienced developers, which obviously charge a lot more. And yeah, there doesn't seem to be that much in between. So for a startup or for a small company, it's quite difficult because you're kind of often stuck in the middle. That You need to bring in expertise. You might not necessarily need the really senior guy and often can't afford the senior guy. So then, then you're kind of stuck then between, I suppose, a rock and a hard place. Mm. Um, I suppose in terms of actually developing platforms and that initial idea I think nowadays it's it's a lot easier. There's a lot of tools like WordPress. There's a lot more kind of courses that you can go on, online courses. I think nowadays, in my experience, kind of developing seems to be all around, well, how do you ask, ask Google to, to write code <laughs> and, and copy and paste? So I think it's a lot easier than potentially it used to be in the past. But no, I mean, de- definitely for us, it, it's not easy and, and bringing people in is, is difficult. Again, I suppose nowadays people can work globally and, and you do have access to developers all around the world now. And certainly developers can work remotely. But if you want to have developers in-house, and I, I think it is easier having developers in-house. I think it is quite hard finding the right people and um, the right fit. I think that is always the same for most businesses. I think there are a lot of people looking for work and probably a lot of people with some or some good ability, but getting them to be a right fit for your organisation. Would you say that OK or OCAPI, I should say, I keep on saying OKAPI, but OCAPI, should I, should I look at that? Do you have a culture? I'm trying to use all, the, all these buzzwords that I see, I see other people <laughs> using. Do you have a culture? Yeah, I mean, we do think about culture. And we have done like projects internally about, I suppose, codifying our culture and I suppose making it more clear, more transparent. So for new people coming in. Yeah, I mean, our culture is around, I mean, I guess a large part of it is driven by myself and, and Jerry, the other founder. But we're a small team, so our culture's grown, it's evolved um, as we've kind of built up the team. I suppose in terms of what our culture is, um, I mean, again, going back to the app, we, we always talk about simplicity, design focus, making it really simple, easy to use. Um, maybe with a bit of humour as well. We yeah. don't want it to be completely dry. And certainly if you, well, talking about, okay, Appy or Cappy, uh, compared to Auto Alerts, the different, even the difference in name. Um, of course. Moving away from a functional descriptive name to more of trying to create a brand, trying to create a a character that people can associate with. So the idea of Okapi, like the Okapis uh, roaming around in the wild. Um, trying to create, I suppose we are trying to create that culture of being a bit different, um, but being yeah simple, easy, and, and really helping our our customers out, helping them them grow their business as well. I think it's very important. I mean, and even though I might laugh about culture per se, I mean, it's very difficult to invoke culture in terms of our sort of late payment business. You know, it, <laughs> the only thing you can really do for that, for the most part, is, you know, clarity and transparency. I think the difficulty is for us is that you're trying to make legal work really seem less complex that isn't easy in any stretch of the imagination i think it's very easy for tech companies to 
get submerged in the tech. Um, I think a lot of companies, they they develop, they they get all these customer requests and it's very easy to become really complex, really complicated system. Um, and I think kind of techies love this idea of we're creating this code or this functionality or we can do these amazing things, which often for the companies that want to use it, it's like, well, actually all I want to do is be able to see my jobs or I want to be able to send a message to one of my guys or I want to raise an invoice. Because it's so, easy. That's that's interesting because it's, it's somebody that I know, and I'm not going to reveal the person's name, works for a large tech company. And this tech company seems to, what it does, it spends most of its time worrying about the kit that they're going to put in the organization, as opposed to how it's actually going to work and be documented. Yeah, yeah. So they, they say, oh God, we're going to get you these fantastic servers. Yeah. They're going to be running at lightning speed and we're going to be using this JR45 multi-cable and it's going to look really sexy. But somebody says, have you got a manual for it? Oh no, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think it's easy to to go down that road. And I think especially as a young company as well, developing software, you hear so many kind of questions from prospects and from customers. Oh, if it did that, you'd, you'd sell loads. Or could we just have this little fun- functionality? Like everyone wants it. And sometimes it's quite difficult to to, to step back and say, well, actually, no, because that, yeah, we can see that would work for you. But for any other company or for new companies, it just makes it more complex. And of course. I think having the the kind of confidence to be able to push back and say, well, no, we're trying to, we're trying to create something here. We're trying to create a platform. We're trying to create the the next Slack or the next Facebook, or the next LinkedIn. Um, and I suppose you have to be kind of quite clear on, on your vision and, and your culture and making sure that the platform stays true to that um, rather than kind of just expanding and, adding functionality and features for features sake, which at the end of the day in a few years down the line just becomes complex and difficult to use and, and a nightmare to use and not enjoyable. It's quite interesting. I think it's, it, people do have a perception of what they want. And what I love is that even though Okapi is a commercial-based platform, and not just an application by itself. If I take applications, for example, and I take applications on the on the app store, which is where most people who are listening are going to come in contact with an application, do you feel that people have a higher expectation of apps as if they are obviously can do magic? Do you feel that that people have that that feeling about applications and platforms? Um, I th- yeah, I think definitely the application culture yeah. has, has changed how people view technology and. I mean, Steve Jobs did talk about we want the iPhone to be magical. Um, And I think, yeah, a lot of time now, especially on consumer apps, is around, well, how do we make it feel magical? How do we make it simple, easy to use? And I think corporate apps, enterprise apps, like B2B apps, are starting to get that message as well. And and you're starting to see magical apps doing, doing amazing things. Um, so yeah, definitely it's changed how, how software companies have to develop, how technical, um, companies develop. Um, but yeah, it's not easy. I think people are brutal. I think sometimes when I see on the consumer apps, when people write a review on them, uh, on, (laughs) on Apple, on the apples, oh my God, I'm sure that's the reason why they're shutting down iTunes is because (laughs) (laughs) the reviews, I bought this app for 99 cents and it's, mm. (laughs) Well, a lot of it as well. I mean, Apple have have improved it now, but with Android, you can actually reply to them and and respond. Um, 
So, yeah, you, you get kind of a brutal review. And often it's because people haven't really read the description and they've downloaded an app expecting it to do something completely different. And then, well, I spent 99 pence doing this. <laughs> so, yeah, but I suppose what they don't see is, I mean, for me, it's, it, it is kind of difficult to when you get those uh, comments or criticisms, because it is your baby. You spent a lot of time developing it. Uh, you want it to be the best. Of course. Scan. And when someone does put a review on like that, especially with Apple in, in a day, you can respond and it's like, well, it <laughs> these moment. people are slating me and they're killing me. <laughs> yeah. But at least with Android, yeah, you can reply and, well, actually, look, this is what the app does and this is how it works. And, yeah, we've got functionality within the app where they can ask questions or if there's things they're, they're not sure about, we can help them out. But, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I suppose it's, I, I guess it's like with email, with with messaging, with apps, it's, it is easy to to give a hard review because you feel this distant from the company of course and, and whatever so. you know it's it, people have this expectation i've paid 99 pence and this should be absolutely this should change my world and you know god forbid if you've got anything that costs you know 10 15 yeah. quid oh my god they, people i've never seen such aggression towards and I think this is why developers have a reputation of not coming out, is it? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, scared to come out. <laughs> but for saying that, though, it does remind me of we had one of a quote from one of our customers. Um, they they do pumps, they service pumps, so drainage industry. And they came on board, one of our first customers, actually. Um, they installed, they downloaded the app, uh, they liked it, they were moving from a kind of a, a more complex system. Um, they started using Okapi. Um, three months later, we went back and how are you getting on? Um, and they said, like, yeah, it's transformed our lives. Really? Uh, it used to be about kind of paperwork and trying to understand what the engineers wrote and constant stress of like, getting the invoices out and disputes around the invoices because they're late. And now it all just flows freely, smoothly. The information, we have the job on, the engineers see it in real time. They update it on their phone. We can raise the invoice straight away. It's just so much easier. And it, it has made our, and it, that was a husband and wife team as well. It's made our, our working life easier. It's made our personal life easier. Um, so for me, I mean, that's that's one of the things that we enjoy. So I suppose, yeah, on, on one hand, you sometimes get reviews on on Google, which you kind of think, well, is that deserved? Or or maybe they've had issues or whatever. But then on the other hand, you speak to customers and, and you get other reviews. And when you, when you hear things like, yeah, actually it has changed our life or changed our business and allow, allowed us to grow, it's, that's when it kind of does does really feel feel good it restores your faith in yeah. humanity i suppose the only, the only issue is that often it's people seem more willing to give negative than than positive so i mean in that case we we had gone and seen the customer and, and spent time with them i, I think, think it's, yeah yeah it's always easy i think you're always more likely to get negative reviews than than positive of which course is a shame I, yeah i think the problem is is when if you've got an application or a platform when it works it's not a problem yeah. It's like a computer. When you know, when your f phone works, you just use your phone. You pick it up every day. It works. You take it for granted. When it doesn't work, but this bloody phone is not working. It's them and they've discharged me a fortune and it's rubbish. Yeah. And I think, as you said, that's where the problem is. I think for the amount of people where it works well with whatever you're doing, they're not going to stop their day in order to write you a fantastic review yeah. because it works yeah that's what yeah. i paid for yeah. whereas the people who are upset they've got a reason to contact you 
And that's the reason why they're taking the approach they're taking, because as far as they can, they want to get your attention. But if it works, they were already using it. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I suppose people have to get into the culture of rewarding people for what works. But the attitude for some people who are negative is, well, what am I, why am I, you know, drawing attention to the fact that it works? It's supposed to work. <laughs> Uh, and that's one of the other difficulties, especially yeah, you talk about the phone and yeah, it kind of normally just works, but it is a difficult, difficult environment and you go in tunnels or the the weather or whatever and you can lose signal or you can, as we always say with our customers, often they're, they're down in the cellars or they're down a drain or whatever and it is a difficult environment to get the signal from the phone to the server to to wherever um and i think that's often yeah people just expect things to work now they don't understand the yeah. complexity behind it and there's an, there, you're, you're, you know you're 50 feet underground even if you go to a bloody nightclub your yeah. button doesn't work not that i've been to any nightclubs lately but <laughs> or it does but you can't hear it anyway. yeah you can't hear it above that but one thing I wanted to touch on is that you're one of the few guests that we've had on the cash flow show who's been part partnered with a co-founder or has a co-founder. Yeah. How's that like? Because you know, in my business, I make a decision and I live to regret it, <laughs> and I've got nobody else to blame myself. How does it work with a co-founder? Um, I think it swings and roundabouts. Um, and I'll be careful about this, but just uh, <laughs> be diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, for us as well, it was even harder because Jerry is also my wife. Ah, right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's good because you've got someone you can completely trust in. Um, it's a different viewpoint, a different way of working, which I think is always useful. Yeah, you can throw ideas off each other. Um and I think as well, like if you get negative feedback or if something is not going right, it's good to have other people that you can speak to and, and kind of actually realise, well, actually things aren't that bad or, yeah, that's one thing and 10 other things have gone well. So it's good to have a sounding board, people to speak to. On the other side, I guess it's, it's yeah, it's stressful and especially um, being married, I think it's difficult to turn off um, from a startup. Um, you're both stressed, uh, you go home and there's no no release from it. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Yeah, um, tough. And yeah, I mean, we had um, a young child as well. So piling the pressure on, piling <laughs> the stress on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so swings and roundabouts. I, I think for a, a company, I think it's always good to have uh, more than than one person yeah, yeah especially if you want that. it to grow if you yeah. want it oh, to, to grow into a big thing i think you do need a team uh you do either need founders or you need um investors that are prepared to get in or directors yeah. who are prepared to get involved um and we've been lucky as well we raised funding and done a, we've done a couple of funding rounds and so we have investors as well um and some of them do take an active role in the business they provide mentoring um and oversight uh, so I think that helps as well. Um, and it's an alternative to having uh, founders or it complements uh, the founder team. Um, but yeah, I think definitely having more more people involved, more people making their key decisions is is definitely better. It takes, I can imagine it takes the pressure off. I mean, you mentioned briefly about funding. I get lots of things in my inbox from people who've got these events where they've got venture capitalists and, and they've got all these people with funding and checkbooks and whatever. And I look at it and I think, how do you negotiate all of that to build 
relationship and because everything's about funding now and funding is made to look very, very sexy and so on and so forth. And yeah. we're going for our first round and second round and third round. I thought to myself, what happened to the first round? I, I don't understand how it works. I, maybe as a late payments debt recovery guy, I should know how it works, but I find it's just a, another world. Yeah. And I think there, there has been a kind of culture built up around startups that you do have to go out and raise billions of pounds. Um, and I think it, it does give certain companies a competitive edge. Mm. Um, you look at, I suppose, Uber and, and Lyft, one company, well, I suppose they both raised quite a lot of money, but yeah. Uber expanded quickly because it raised so much money very quickly. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, funding is not easy and I think kind of you you read the big stories you see about the Ubers, you see about these companies that are raising billions, but the reality of it, in my experience, is actually it's it's not easy. It's it's difficult. Um, venture capital is hard to come by. Um, bank lending, um, business angels, it, it's not easy. It's there is a lot of money out there. Um, there seems to be a, a lot of money sloshing around. But from my side of the table, I think trying to find that investment, trying to get it on board, is is not easy. It's difficult. So I, I swear, the way we did it, uh, obviously we put money in ourselves, the founders initially. Um, then we went down friends and family routes, um, got investors in for a first round back in like 2015, 16. Uh, and then we went out um, on a funding platform. So we published on Angels Den, uh, we presented, we pitched at lots of events, uh, did lots of networking, spoke to lots of people, and then basically, yeah, raised money through through that platform um, from a number of angel investments, uh, angel investors. So that's how we got our funding. Uh, we're actually, our plan was to do another round either this year or probably early next year, a series A round. Um, so, so yeah, seeds, later seed, early seed, <laughs> series like a, 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 series B. It sounds like a bloody gardening show. <laughs> it probably feels like it as well yeah. at some stage, I guess, when we're, when you're <laughs> trying to get the money. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not easy. It takes time. And I think the difficult thing from, from a startup is it, it is a distraction and you want to be out selling, you want to be out developing the platform, um, but you need to be out raising the funding as well. And I think, again, it's it's hard. It's a hard trade-off between, yeah, getting the money in to expand and accelerate quickly, um, but potentially taking your eye off the ball and, and not selling as quickly, which again has ramifications for the whole funding route as well. So yeah, so yeah it's a difficult chasm to cross I guess yeah I, I I suppose because you know you get these things that you see on the internet said oh this pitch deck and uh, for for those of us who don't know what a pitch deck is from what I'm led to believe it's this um, a set of slides that you basically stick in front of investors and they're with nice pictures and figures that tell them to to chuck money at you uh, and I don't know if that's correct, but that's what my perception of it is. <laughs> and it's basically a better set of PowerPoint slides. And I saw one, who was it for? It may have been for Uber. Uber have, uh, I think it's Uber, and somebody has to correct me in the comments if I'm wrong, who had this super duper pitch deck. And then when they did this presentation, people threw money at them. And I must find this this this, this pitch deck so uh, people could throw money at me. Yeah, well, I mean, I have to share my pitch deck if you want to have a look at it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, again, you look at, I suppose, you look at companies like Uber, which have already raised billions of pounds. And I think 
it's easy to kind of understand the pitch deck. You're based off experience. Yeah, you can understand investors already know um, what's happening and, and are prepared to put money in. I think when you're less well known, when you're trying to raise funding, yeah, you can create a brilliant pitch deck, but you don't have that awareness out there. You've not generated that traction, that publicity. Um, it makes it a lot harder. And I think often when you look at pitch decks, you kind of, you look at an Uber pitch deck, you think, wow, it's amazing. But is it amazing because everyone knows of Uber already? Correct. Or is it amazing actually because what they've put in there is different? And from seeing, from looking at lots of pitch decks when we do our research or kind of looking at how we develop our own, I think, yeah, sometimes it's, I think the pitch deck, it, it hits a chord or in our experience with investors, it's it either hits a chord or it doesn't. And I think you can kind of spend a lot of time worrying about the pitch deck and what goes in there and how it looks. Um, but I think the key thing is like you want to be building a growing company, have big ambitions, um, want to be taking the company somewhere. And you find investors that are bought into that and understand and, and see the growth and see the potential. Yeah. And they're prepared to to get involved to a certain extent as well, like open doors, um, give advice, um, even be a sounding board, I guess. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, with all the idea of pitch decks and money and venture capitalists, a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back after that message. We'll speak to you then. Bad debtors can rob you of your time and money. They can destroy your whole business within weeks. Archaic debt collection agencies and expensive legal fees will drain your cash flow. But in one day, the PRMS Business Debt Prevention Course will teach you how to create late payment management procedures, invoice for immediate settlement, and eradicate existing debt. You'll study real-life examples to drag your business out of the red. Visit www.prmsltd.co.uk or call 0203-865-7138 to register now before bad debtors make your business another failed statistic. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the Cashflow Show. And we have Richard Harris, CEO and co-founder of OCAPI. And before we left for the break, we were discussing venture capital, Series A, seed funding and all these other things. And it's not a gardening show, people. As you know, it's about entrepreneurs, their businesses and what that entails. So... If you're a follower of the show, or even if you're not, you'll know that we have a couple of questions that we always ask our guests, and we try and see if we can uh, get a response from them in terms of what they do and what they like in terms of their spare time, because we don't expect them to be working all the time, but um, uh, at some point they need a break. So Richard, the question to you is, what is your favourite film and why? Uh, my favourite film, I would say is uh, Vanilla Sky. So the one with Tom Cruise. Okay, tell me about this. I've never seen that one. Um, yeah, so basically it's about... Oh, Tom Cruise is a, a guy who's got a pretty charmed existence. His father was um, publishing Mogul. And that created, a, I suppose, a strange character. He didn't have much, I suppose, love from his father. He had uh, untold wealth. Um, so he basically had everything. And then he... Well, he was involved in a, a car crash and it's about how his life changed. And there's a twist in it because it's it's at different levels. It's not okay. just kind of like the, the here and now. It's Well, I won't talk about the twist. Yeah, yeah don't talk about it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no spoiler. Yeah, it's a bit more than, than just his story. But um, 
but yeah, I just find it interesting because it's it's about someone who has a different different life and a life that I suppose a lot of people aspire to in mm-hmm. terms of the wealth and the Ferrari and the Manhattan apartments. <laughs> um, and I guess it was kind of seeing how that changed, the fragility of it, um, seeing how he coped with it, um, and also how the people in his life coped with it as well or how they were involved. And okay. Yeah, I just... I just found it was it was very different um, to kind of I suppose a lot of other films. Um, as I say, it did have a kind of a bit of a twist. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting, thought provoking, mm. and yeah, I suppose it's kind of so. One of the things I'm always I suppose keen in for myself is is not to be I suppose average, but to try and kind of create something special. And I think that's a lot of the thing behind Okapi is is wanting to to make a difference and oh. and be different and create something special. And uh, yeah, I suppose kind of inspiration or some inspiration from that film. Excellent, excellent. And so, what is your favourite book and why? Um, so I think this one's probably a bit hardest. Okay, Quite a you... lot of books I've yeah. read, which yeah, I kind of like. Um, I mean, I, I read one recently called The Knicks okay. um, by, I think it was by Nathan Hill. Um, so I think it's it's quite a recent book. It's just been published. Um, and it was, again, it's about a story about um, people in the 60s, about the riots in Chicago okay. around the Vietnam War. And again, it's talking about, I suppose, the one of the key characters um she went to to chicago university um her background she was originally from i think norway um so they'd emigrated to america um living in a kind of small rural town mm. and she was trying to break out of that um to go to university um which i guess was it's kind of inspirational seeing kind of that side of it um but then it was about yeah she she got involved with other people they were involved in the riots and how that kind of impacted her life of and her friend's life. And and on the other side of the, the coin as well, there was um, the policemen, um, how their lives changed and evolved over time. And the story was basically looking at their lives from the 60s through to, to the present day. And it was really interesting seeing how their kind of lives changed, how their kind of like thoughts and aspirations changed. Um, and in particular, how the the main girl, it also impacted future generations. It impacted her relationship with her son. Um, and again, I suppose there was, there was a bit of a twist at the end in terms of, of some of the characters and, and how their kind of lives progressed. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess, again, it was just interesting characters. It was thought-provoking. Um, it was interesting learning about uh, America at the time and American culture as well. Um, but yeah, and there's a bit of humour in there as well. So Good. yeah, kind of Good. interesting. Interesting choice. Um, and so what is your favourite album stroke single and why? Um, this always froze them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I guess like nowadays I tend to listen to to the radio a lot more and like one station in particular and like my wife hates it. Um, I listen that? to a station called Frisky Radio. I so can't say I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think many people have, but it's, it's like house music and okay. trancey and yeah, I just it's I suppose it's it's not songs, it's it's um more beats like you listen to it for, for yeah, hours yeah and yeah it's it's the beats it's the yeah. rhythm um but okay. yeah i find it kind of relaxing and okay. enjoy that now rather than yeah i suppose albums or, or songs okay fair enough that's great that's interesting i mean there was one lady and she 
on on a recent podcast and she basically she liked all the oh god all those sort of trance compilations from the nineties. Oh, okay. She yeah. liked a lot of those, and that was really. And I can't remember the genre, and it will come back to me. But she liked a lot of those, and that was quite interesting. Oh, I didn't expect that. But okay, I should look up Frisky Radio. And oh, see what she should look up Frisky Radio. Yeah, yeah, maybe similar, she should. Actually. Yeah, Joanna, the Frisky Radio. It's the one for you. Um, that's that's interesting because nobody's picked a radio station. People people usually pick a genre of some sort if they don't pick an artist. And um, you know, because most people think, you know, uh, um, Diane Booth, um, the, the lady that was um, on the podcast before you last week, she was in a position where what she picked nineties um, R and B, and that was her genre. She didn't pick any but anything specific. But no, okay, so somebody's picked a radio station, so that's a good yeah, one. I, mean, a- I guess I have quite like eclectic taste. So I mean, I, when I do listen to music, I listen to kind of quite broad, like yeah. sometimes classical, sometimes pop music, yeah. sometimes. Yeah, trance, house yeah. music. Cool. Um, but yeah, I guess, I suppose, again, technology is changing and moving away from, well, even iTunes is closing down yeah. now, but yeah. yeah, moving away from songs. and Well, I suppose iTunes moved from, people moved from albums to songs. Uh, and then I guess with Spotify and I suppose internet radio like Frisky, yeah. you kind of, that's the next stage on and yeah, not necessarily listen to songs on albums or, or even genres anymore. Yeah. Though I'm sure that with cassettes, with I'm sure that with cassettes coming back, that will be a, a thing. It will all be albums and some, somebody will set up yeah. a station, which is going to be all albums. So I can see that happening. Okay. So, you know, you've been in business now for a little while. You've had quite a bit of experience in the corporate side. And then obviously then now as a co-founder of your own business, what is your your advice to anyone thinking of starting in business today? Um, I suppose my advice is is just go for it. I think it's very easy to analyse and keep thinking about it and keep thinking, what should we do? And what name should we use? And what should the product do? Or what functionality? I think the key is you, you just need to get out there and then you evolve and you iterate and, and improve and don't get sidetracked and keep the focus um, but yeah, don't let people put you off. Um, don't let indecision put you off. Get started and, and build from there. Excellent. Thank you. And that's always good, helpful. I think a lot of people do get paralyzed. I have a tendency, I know I've in the past, to overthink things. And sometimes you really do just have to get your mind together and just say, I'm going to go for it, you know? Yeah, well, I did um, an MBA at Cranfield School of Management. Okay. And a lot of that was around analysis and analyze the market and understand the industry and SWOT analysis, all, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I think it's it gets too easy to, and they often say it with MBA students, it's, I think it's analysis paralysis. You, yeah. you can analyze too much and you end up not doing anything. I think, yeah, in my experience, it's, you've just got to go for it and, and see. And yeah, you make mistakes along the way and what you start off with might not necessarily be where you are in, in a few years time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're kind of open to change and you're looking for trying to provide the best product or service, um, yeah, you'll, well, in my experience, you'll get there and yeah, you'll overcome the hurdles and learn from the mistakes and <laughs> keep improving and building and yeah, eventually. So in terms of that, I wanted to ask, what are the best resources that have helped you in your business or helped you along the way, whether it be apps or whether it be 
books or seminars or any kind of thing that's sort of helped you do you think that would help other people yeah i mean i just mentioned cranfield's school of management in the fact that they kind of analysis paralysis but no i think that was one of the big um drivers for me as well um not necessarily in terms of what i learned around finance or marketing or or sales but it gave me the confidence it gave me the network um i saw other people's starting business I think that's probably the biggest um, help was yeah going through going through the MBA program. It, it was also a, a good catalyst. I was in investment banking and bis- big business before, and and sometimes I think it's hard to give up a cushy lifestyle oh, and yes. a steady income. Um, but yeah, Cranfield gave me or doing the, the MBA gave me that opportunity and the time and the confidence. I think mostly to 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 set up a business and to to build it and. And to realise that, yeah, we've all got the power and the the ability to create things. So, yeah, again, kind of just, just going out and doing it. Right. Excellent. Um, so what's been your scariest moment as an entrepreneur? Well, we've had lots of scary moments. Um, <laughs> scary moments that you could talk about. <laughs> um, well, I guess these scary moments... In the early days when there wasn't steady income coming in and you're worried about the mortgage and the, the debts are racking up and you, you're worried about, well, how do you um, live from one month to the next? Um, as things have developed, as the company's grown, then I think things change that yeah. don't necessarily get easier. Of so <laughs> at the start, you're, well, you're trying to build the platform and you're kind of worried about, well, how do you do it? And if there's bugs and issues... Um, is a nightmare and kind of trying to resolve that. As you get bigger, then you put processes in place, you have automated testing, um, the technical problems go away, but then other problems, you're trying to grow the business, so then you're looking for sales and getting customers and how do you get customers and keeping customers happy. And then you build traction, you accelerate, and then it becomes, well, actually, now I need to get funding and I've got to get investors and keep investors happy. And I suppose my point is that they're kind of, yeah, there's, there's lots of moments through time and there probably always will be. And of course. You get to, I suppose my ambition is to get to a, to an IPO and build a big uh, public company. But I think even then, and I spoke to CEOs of public companies and they say, well, yeah, the problems are still there. They're just different. <laughs> Was it those rappers always say, more money, more problems. Yeah. <laughs> well, Putting all the problems aside, in order for you to get to your IPO, what are the type of businesses does Okapi want to work with in the future? Um, so at the moment, we're targeting the trades and I suppose the tier two contractors to the facilities managers, to the construction companies, the insurance companies. I suppose the big opportunity for Okapi is a lot of our companies, they're creating networks with bigger players. Right. So we already have um, big facilities management companies on the platform. We have councils, big construction companies, insurance companies. At the moment, they're largely receiving information. So they receive job sheets from our customers. They receive invoices, messages. Um, the opportunity for us, and I suppose where we'd like to push it, is converting those bigger companies into not just receiving information, but actively using the system to add jobs, send them through to their subcontractors and build the network themselves. Um, a lot of these companies, and we spoke to um, public sector company relatively recently uh, in London and they have a property portfolio um, I, th- I think they have 
they have about 30 guys internally who manage all their properties. And then they have 17,000 subcontractors. And they Crumbs. have, <laughs> internally, they have a big complex workforce management system, which works well for the 30 guys. But for the 17,000 subcontractors, it's back to emails, it's back to sending them text messages, it's back to chasing them for job sheets and chasing for invoices. And it's an administrative nightmare. So, I think those are the kind of companies that we want to to target as well. It's the bigger companies, the facilities managers, the construction, the councils, who do have lots of subcontractors um, and who need to manage manage that work. Um, yeah, that's where I think the opportunity for us is um, as well. I mean, it's, even with the trades, there's, there's plenty of companies out there, ambitious companies that are, are looking to grow. And, and certainly this, we're generating a lot of interest and yeah, seeing a lot of companies come on board. Good, excellent. So obviously when people who are tier two and who fit into all the other categories that you mentioned previously, where do they find you? Where do they find Okapi? Where do you have a website, social media? How do people get hold of you? Uh, yeah, so we have uh, the Okapi website, so okapi.com. Um, you can find us through Google search. So if you search for job sheets or electronic job sheets or workforce management, uh, we're on the app stores. Um, so yeah, we're on iTunes. So again, if you look for a CAPI or uh, workforce management job sheets, uh, same on Android, uh, we're on there. So is that you spelling it? Yeah, O-K-A-P-P-Y. Yeah, A yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, social media as well. So yeah, we're on uh, Twitter. So O-K underscore Appy. Um, come and look for us there. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. But yeah, yeah, I suppose website's the, the key. So okapi.com. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. So Richard Harris, CEO and co-founder of OCAPI, thank you very much for joining us here on the Cashflow Show. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure having you and hearing all about your business and your growth and your proposed expansion. And we wish you all the best in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, thank you for listening to another episode of The Cashflow Show. It's really appreciated that you're joining us. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today and would like to hear more, then please subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you wish to like, comment or subscribe, leave a message or follow us on social media, please do so as we would love to hear from you. So until the next time, take care from everyone at The Cashflow Show. Goodbye.